0: Hello, Challenger Podcast listeners. Welcome to the HR Passport. I'm Colleen Madden-Blumenfeld. Today, we're talking about the gig economy, both in the U.S. and really globally, and how they compare. Uh, Jobs was such an important issue in the recent election, and we're seeing more workers in the U.S. cobble together careers with one or more part-time jobs. I sat down with Rick Cobb to learn more. So what is a gig economy, Rick?
1: well the best we can tell a gig economy is two or more part-time jobs that someone has to make up a living um, you know it can be anything from uber driver to part-time uh, English Spanish lessons you name it anything that anything that you can do to, to, to create work and income
0: and we're seeing that on the rise now
1: actually you know it's, it's uh, it, we're late to the game in the us I think you have a combination of the fact that our economy is, Has been more resilient than the rest of the world, and uh, and the fact that um, it's more easily embraced to have gigs, so to speak, in many of the other countries where you have a stronger social system. So, uh, McKinsey Global just did a a research recently that said that 25 to 30 percent of the global global economy is actually what we would call a gig economy here in the U.S. We had 300,000 uh, people added to the gig economy rolls uh, last month, which takes us to a little bit over 5% total.
0: Why does the gig economy seem so difficult to get a handle on? It just seems very difficult to be able to capture workers in a gig economy.
1: One of the things that's hard to do is measure the economy because it's, it's effectively off the books. Right. I mean, you've got uh, Greece during the, the European meltdown, uh, probably is a, the best example of that when uh, they were trying to figure out whether they could bail Greece out or not. They had no real way to uh, measure the Greek economy. They estimated that probably 60 percent of, of the Greek economy was really off the books, you know, cash, small business transactions that, that were reported as income tax. So what are some of the
0: pros to having a gig economy, maybe some of the cons?
1: Well, I mean, and you can think about the ones that we're most familiar with, whether it's Airbnb or or Uber or or now Lyft, um, and think about those people. I I don't know about you, but I I take a lot. I live in the city, so I take a lot of Ubers. I have very, yeah, I have... Mostly very interesting conversations. Yeah,
0: they are very talkative.
1: Yeah, sometimes you don't want them, but <laughs> yeah. uh, you, you do get them. And so you have a pretty good feel for who those people are. I, and I don't, I mean, anecdotally, I would say it feels like about two years ago, I would have said that almost 80% of the people driving me had a regular job, and this was supplemental. Mm-hmm. Again, this is anecdotal. It's not it's not statistical accurate, but but I feel like that's probably 50, 50 or less now. It seems like more people are doing that full time there with the Uber driving. So um, when you think about the pros, uh, flexibility, you know I, I yeah, you know, talk to people, I don't work during this time of day because traffic's terrible. I don't want to go to the airport and make that run. Uh, um, my kids, uh, you know, get home from school at this hour. I'm I'm up early, so I don't mind doing the early ride kind of stuff. It's safer this time of day or in these neighborhoods. So as you go where you want. You take the you take the rides that you want. So there's flexibility. There's freedom along with that. Different than flexibility, but the freedom to, to make a decision today. I don't work. Your boss is not going to call you and say where are you. Um, and then I think the other thing is the autonomy. And again, these are all derivative of each other, but the autonomy is no one's telling you what to do, uh, except for me, because I have a certain way I want you to take me to work and my app is better than, but other than that, that, so that's the, those are the pros. The cons of course are pretty obvious too. you don't really have a support structure, um, uh, you don't have control over the the part that you're going to get paid. Mm-hmm. Uh, if the if the uh, providers of the services, the the people that are actually providing the app and the network decide that your your fees are going from X to X minus 10, you really can't do much about it except stop driving it or try to find an alternative. Um, you, you don't have the same sort of... Maybe that's why they talk so much. They don't maybe. have the camaraderie. Maybe we're their camaraderie. you're in the yeah, car. Yeah. I mean, you don't have... Even the, the cab drivers, you know, if you go to a major metropolitan city like Chicago or New York, they're, they're typically when there's downtime, they're all hanging out talking to each other about, you know, what's going on. We know that most of the cab drivers in Chicago are probably secretly muttering on their cell phones to their friends right, with yes. a headset unless you tell them to stop it. Uh, whereas the Uber drivers uh, that lift people... Uh, probably don't have the same sort of uh, camaraderie, and there's not really a consistency of income. I guess the good news is you can work harder and make more money, but the bad news is you can't create income when there isn't any. So you're at the mercy of that.
0: And there's a lot of opportunities now because it's not just driving people anymore. Now it's you can get your babysitter through an app, sure. or a dog walker, or
1: yeah. You look at that. I mean, that is a, it's a fascinating uh, expansion of the concept. I remember many years ago, uh, and I don't even know if they're still in business, but TaskRabbit was the mm-hmm. first one I saw where you could you could say, I need my taxes done or my, my bathroom painted, and people could bid on yeah. th- that. Um, of course, then you have a very successful app, um, which has actually uh, become a, a, a PE company that buys other apps. That's Angie's List. and That's actually now a, a robust company that makes purchases of other apps. And that was sort of the validation of, uh, hey, you're pretty good with, you know, you're a good cook or you're a good, you're a good carpenter or you're a good plumber or electrician. You get a high rating by Angie. And then uh, you can go out and get work that way because you go to Angie's List and, and they're able to recommend you. And as long as you keep your ratings up, you, you get to continue to do that. Um, uh, Thumbtack. Which is another one, you know. I think the thumbtack is just like when you would go to the train station, you'd see on the bulletin board or in the church nice. or in the grocery store, somebody would tack up, you know, guitar lessons or dog walking mm-hmm. services. Um, now, thumbtack is the same thing, and it's it's trying to be sort of the Angie's List of the the less uh, well known or well or commonly thought of chores. They're not really chores; they're more services like. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to learn Spanish. I want to learn how to play the guitar. I think I can sing. I'm not sure. I actually did that. I, I never had that. I never actually made, pulled the trigger on that one yet. Um, so there's a lot of those sorts of things out there, and it creates opportunities for people to earn income um, and and be part of the gig economy.
0: So. Do you think this is going to grow?
1: yeah it's really interesting um you know we think back and i can think back further than you I'm <laughs> older, unless i forget older. <laughs> yeah. um, but you you think back to blockbuster and sort of that you, that became the ritual you know you go to blockbuster with your kids you pick out the movie uh you get the popcorn they wanted that i want the you know the whatever licorice that i hated but they got it anyway because <laughs> yeah, that was the fun thing
0: you did, yeah, right? you did it was like a thing to do for right. you go to
1: blockbuster and that's gone um, before, back in my day, it was you know Tower Records. What's the latest? What's the latest album coming out? I heard it on you know when I was in Philadelphia or YSP, It was the Blowtorch Rock Station, and you'd go and find the new Robin Trower album or whatever it was, and, and go listen to that. And they're gone, and 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 uh, all the music, all the medium components. And now you think about what's going on now, and it's funny to think that um, um, like a like a DVD. You know, uh, one of my daughters, she's got this incredible DVD collection of movies that she loves. And uh, and so she's listening to these, she's watching these DVDs. But now I had a conversation with somebody the other day and it was just the weirdest thing. I said, hey, have you seen this movie? And they said, no, but I own it. It was just the and you're going wait why is that and you own something you own a physical you own TV. a movie but you have never watched it and this movie was probably like two years old and you start thinking about the complexity of it's so easy now to turn on your computer to turn on Netflix to turn on your cable system to turn on your satellite dish and just watch whatever you want to watch mm-hmm. and see what's there as opposed to having to go through the incredible owner's task of turning on your DVD player and changing the HDMI over. Opening to, the
0: box. It's like, it's, it's like a
1: whole five minutes yes. you're never going to get back. Right. So back to the adoption curve, though. You think about it. Is this going to stick? The, the sociologists and scientists, uh, you know, because they are actually still interested in this stuff, are looking at this idea of what causes something to catch or not. And you look at what we call the adoption curve, and we've all heard about the early, the innovators, which are the first people. Hey, let's, we're going to do this. We're going to, this is a parachute. I think it might work. Let's jump. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do it. And that's about, eh, they say five to 7% of the population that might be in the market for something. And then the next to come around are the early adopters. And so you have the early adopters. And what they've realized is that there's a, a two halves to the early adopters. You have obviously the first half. And the first half is about 15 to 17 percent of the total market and they're the ones that have this incredible oh this is it's going to be so cool you know and you had right. mentioned we were talking about this before uh you were talking about uh, uh google, glass, glass, google yeah. glass right so that's one and then also not at the same time but in in in, in recent times there's the apple watch mm-hmm. right so you have these two ideas you have the the first half of the early adopters who are into it and trying it and raving about it. And then you have this sort of irrational set of expectations around the rational exuberance to steal from the financial community about uh, how this is going to be cool, and it's going to do all these great things for you. Um, and then about the time that that curve starts to peak and, and drop, uh, it, it creates this gap between the, the first half of the early adopters and the second half of the early adopters. And then we have what we people are calling the trough of disillusionment, which we decided was probably uh, what Bilbo had to get across to get the ring back. Though. Yeah. <laughs> we don't really know. So anyway, uh, the trough of disillusionment and, and that's the, geez, not really that great. And, mm-hmm. and so you have both, you know, both examples, right? You have, the Apple Watch survived and was able to jump across mm-hmm. the trough and, the, and and so far Google Glass didn't make it right it right didn't live up to the hype yeah it wasn't yeah it was, I, and who knows why but right. it doesn't really make any difference that's a common phenomenon around things that catch on or not so you go through this and you have the second half of the early adopters which is about 25 to 35 percent of the market and our, uh, second half sorry the second half of the early adopters was 15 to 17 percent of the market. And and that kind of makes it. And then you have the this does really sound like a uh, some kind of, yeah, kind of yeah, the slope the slope of enlightenment <laughs> the slope of enlightenment which is now we say okay and this is actually I can see the value of the Apple Watch I'm using it as a, a fitness uh, support mm-hmm. and it helps me keep track you know I'm ADD so it helps me make my meetings what I'm supposed to and not get caught up in my hyper-predictive lost state It gets me you know, in trouble with everybody. Um, and then you get past that to, to the early adopters. And, and, and I mean, the um, yeah, the, the early majority. And the early majority now says okay. And then you have Apple Watches, and they're doing really yeah, cool And everyone that. right. wants them, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's an interesting thing, because if you say that's true, globally, the world is already in the early adoption stage. Here in the U.S., not so much, right? Right, yeah. And globally, we're at 20, 20 to 30%. Hard to measure. Don't know for sure. Mm-hmm. Here in the U.S., we are measuring it, and we know we're trying desperately to understand our economy and say it's about a little bit over five percent of the of the total. Yeah. So,
0: and, and is that good for the economy?
1: Yeah. Wow. Also, you, if I could get this right, I'd be on my own. You <laughs> know, it's it's tough. <laughs> I think um, the the you know you and I have worked for years on the layoff data report and. So we're constantly fielding the questions about uh, unemployment and which numbers is it is is six percent healthy or unhealthy? Is five percent healthy or unhealthy? Is four percent healthy or unhealthy? Where are the jobs going to come from? If if ABC company lays off one hundred thousand people, what does that mean? And so uh, we, we are, we're wrestling with this issue all the time, and um, and I don't know. I, I I have a very strong belief, but it's an anecdotal belief. That real job creation in the years that, that I've been here comes from the mid sized to small company. Right. Because the, the Fortune 1000, global or US, doesn't matter, they're constantly trying to get better. Mm-hmm. And getting better is more efficient and making more stuff for lower cost and getting more of it out to the consumer. And that's not about people. That's actually, people are your, you said people are our biggest asset. I think Global 1000, sometimes people are our biggest cost. Right, yeah. So the more that we can eliminate the, the number of people doing the work, you, know, you think about headcount issues and the fact that uh, you, you want to reduce your cost, you reduce headcount. Well, where do you reduce your headcount? You typically look at the top end of the curve because mm-hmm. that's where most of the cost is because they're getting paid the most, Right. right. So is that good for the economy? I don't know. It's good for that company. Right. Is it good for the economy? Not necessarily. And and the problem is, is that if you believe any of the stories that say that, you know, most of the wealth is held by one-tenth of one percent, percent, it is only so many yachts I can buy. Mm-hmm. And even if I buy a lot of yachts, uh, they're not going to be beneficial to anybody except for the people that built them. And I'm going to have them for a long time. Right. So it's not like I'm Fully staffing those I'm yachts. not constantly yeah. spiking my <laughs> the economy by buying this year's yacht. Right, right. Uh, that was last year's yacht. I've never been to it. Uh homes, anything that I buy, they tend to be fixed assets that, that we buy and keep. Uh, so that's not really the trickle-down economy. I think we've pretty much just, you're not
0: hiring anyone for the yachts. No,
1: those, no the, the yacht day. builders. And of course now the yacht builder, because they're a big company, they're probably trying to do it with robots. So who knows how that's going? Uh, so so the question is, is this good for the economy? And I think Even though we don't want to say it, I think it probably is. Because what's the alternative? I don't have a job. I have one part-time job. Mm -hmm. Oh, wait a minute. I can put three part-time jobs together and I can actually make a living. You know, I can have, go to the movies or... Get a Netflix account, okay. or go to some place that I'd like to eat once in a while. Pay, you know, pay some bills, pay for uh, my kids' dental work, whatever it is. I have the ability to increase my income and offset uh, and, and offset some of the burdens financially. That's good. What's interesting about that is I'm going to spend conservatively 90% of what I earn. Right. Right. If I'm if I'm in that uh, if I make 30 to 40 thousand dollars a year and and it's more than just me if I have a, a partner and or children. I'm probably gonna spend everything I make. So for the economy, it's a good thing because I'm spending all my money. Mm-hmm. Maybe not good for me, I wish I was making more and didn't have to do that. But uh, the alternative is I don't have a job. I only have enough of a, I have a part-time job. And so now I'm, I'm just increasing the pressure on the social system at large. And ours uh, is not nearly as effective as some countries, some developed nations in terms of supporting those people. So I gotta say it's good. Uh, it's it's early right yeah, we're in the five percent right, yeah. so we don't know very early yeah, we weren't really we we're really ahead of it, behind it as, as and
0: we it don't know if it's good for workers yet i mean it's better than not having a job Yes.
1: Right. survival right as, yeah. as well as hierarchy of needs we definitely need to survive and, and continue we don't know if it's good for workers but what's the alternative uh, yeah, let's go back to what we're talking about i hate to be so cynical but I think it's pragmatic. If I'm a publicly traded company and I'm trying to make my businesses as efficient as possible, I'm trying to use as few people to do as much work as I can. And I can only grow my business so big. I can be the biggest, whatever I can be the biggest fast food restaurant. I can be the biggest car manufacturer, but I am still, I'm there's a part that can only get so big before there's no, no place else to go. And that's not going to feed everybody. So when you look at that and you say, okay, well, with this, is it good for the workers? I think so. But the the challenge is that you now have other interested groups that purport to be in support of the workers. Uh, So, so what you have is now you have um, the the lawyers, quote unquote, who decided to take uh, action, class action suits towards these big, Uh, concepts, these destabilizing technologies and say, those people that are doing this work for you on what you call a part-time basis are actually full-time employees. And if they win their suit, if they win their class action suit, then they get uh, a very big windfall for the penalties and the the, the suit. Um, And then what happens is um, the companies that have that destabilizing technology probably take a huge financial hit. Maybe some of them go out of business. Mm-hmm. Maybe they don't. Maybe they survive it. If they survive, what's the solution? Okay, apparently using people gets me in trouble with the law. So how can I do this without using people? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Self-driven cars might work if you're Uber, yeah. right? Uh, drones might work if you're UPS, Amazon, whoever. Why do I have to have people to do this work? I keep getting in trouble with the with the government by doing that. So I don't think that's good, uh, and and again we go back to the issue that we're, the money that is being made by the alternate way of doing business as opposed to using people uh, benefits again that the top end of the curve and doesn't do anything for the bottom end of the curve. So I gotta think it may not ideal, mm-hmm. but uh, you know if we're gonna really talk about Giving these people skill sets and the ability to learn a different trade, then I suppose that's it. But we're not—that's not probably going to happen.
0: What if you're an employer who relies on full-time workers, mm-hmm. and your workers are picking up these gigs? Yeah. While they're working, I mean, that, they can't be great for productivity.
1: Well, I don't know. I mean, the, the, the assumption we're, we're making an assumption here, and I think yes, it might definitely. be accurate, it may not. But the assumption is, is that these people. Um, are working part-time and making more money and they actually like that job better than the one I give them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you can say that's bad for me unless I go, well, okay, I don't want to lose. I don't want to lose Colleen. Yeah. How do I keep her? I know she's having fun teaching you know, her tap dancing classes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am. Know, I know. I'm never <laughs> been And you're doing you're making decent money at it. So how do I keep you? And I have to find out new ways to, to keep you around. They don't have to be financial, you know. We I think one of the things we worry about uh, we have a, sort of one answer uh, as employers often, which is people want more more money.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's really not the case. Uh, people want to be part of something. Yes, that sounds altruistic, but it's a fact. I mean, there's a lot of people who do meaningful work for very little money, and and so when you ask them why, it's because they're part of something. Mm-hmm. The so-called millennials, when you look at the motivational components of that. They don't really want more money. I've got out of the, my seven kids, I think, you know, well, all of them qualify to be in that category. Yeah. And they're not, if they want go, more money, they go to mom or dad. No, I mean, <laughs> if, they, if, they, if they want more, they don't want more money. They really want to be part of something. Right. They and want. they want voices, I think. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to sit in a room for three years until you recognize me that I've been here long enough to be able to do something. Right. I want to make a contribution right now. Mm-hmm. But that's not that difficult if you change your work style. So, The gig economy may force the laggards, the late adopters in in the current economy to adjust their thinking or go out of business. Right. And um, that's not necessarily the end of the world. People are going to find ways to make a living. And uh, if these ways provide that, I don't know that that's a bad thing. And it
0: might uh, spur companies to more creative ways to retain sure. their talent. Yeah. I mean, we're, them.
1: You know, we're going from the gig economy now to the engagement and retention of employees. And, and um, that might be another, Oh yeah, the be another, separate, all be another, separate because we will have another two hour interview that nobody's going to listen to. But I, <laughs> I think, I think the, so the takeaways from this, for me, really, when you think about the gig economy is it's a, it's a pretty substantive issue. We're very early on. We don't know if it's going to stick in the U S but globally. It already has. So the probability, because humans are a lot more like than they're different, the probability that it's here to stay in the U.S. is high. The enemies of that, we forgot one, forgot the lawyers. We also have to remember that organized labor doesn't really care for this very much because it creates uh, competition directly with what they support, which is we have this standard of excellence that we hold everybody to. You join the union to be supported, defended, um, uh, fair wage, etc. cetera. Uh, But the the other side of that is, is that people can go to Angie's list as good carpenters and get the job that the carpenter should have got or the plumber should have got. So they have a problem with it as well. Um, So there's 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 other issues around here. But the takeaway is it's probably going to happen. Just like the dot com process took 12 to 14 years for people to actually go online and buy stuff. And everybody that was everybody lost a lot of money betting that it was going to happen the next minute after they thought of it. So it's probably going to happen, and then after it happens, then it's going to change the way people work and it's going to change the way people employ. We'll uh, we'll see, yeah, right? But it it seems to be here to stay. It certainly certainly seems that way. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Thanks.
0: To learn more, find our blog and our press section at www.challengergradecom We're also on LinkedIn. Facebook, and Twitter. Have a great day.